Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. You know, it is, uh, it is genuinely a gift uh, to be able to come together and to sing I heard a sermon, a message this week that the pastor was talking about that ever since the Psalms, Psalms, hymns, modern worship songs, a lot of the songs that we sing can be summed up in the phrase, life is hard, God is good. And uh, 2020 has definitely confirmed that fact for us, has it not? That, that life can be really, really hard, but God is good and we get to sing of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So thank you team uh, for leading us. I want to echo what Marcy said and say a huge thank you to those of you who are serving. Uh, we believe at Horizon West Campus that, that serving is just a natural outflow of following Jesus. And there's not one specific way to do that, but we believe an important way is by coming alongside the local body of Christ and, and serving. And that might be holding a door or holding a baby. That could be uh, helping people find a seat or helping them find the parking lot as a, as a parking attendant. But we just want to encourage everyone, if you've not yet found a place to serve, we've got opportunities for you. Uh, and we'll talk about that more at the end of the service. There's another group of folks that I want to uh, highlight and I want to express special recognition to. Uh, this year, Veterans Day fell on a Wednesday, and so uh, we decided we would do a, a recognition kind of on the, the, the second half of the week, and so we didn't want to miss the opportunity to do that. If you have served in the American military or one of our allies and, and you've served in any of the branches, I want you to just stand, and we want to honor you and we want to recognize you and thank you for your service. So everywhere around here and those online, thank you. Thank you so much for serving. Amen. You guys can be seated. May we never forget the sacrifice made by men and women on our behalf. So thank you for doing that. Well, this week we are continuing in a series that we're calling Made for This because we believe that as Christians there are certain things that we were made for, that we were made to navigate life with God in a broken world, a world that gives us years like 2020. Last week we talked about being made for prayer. This week we're talking about being made for mission made for mission. Now, I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word mission or missions. Uh, my earliest impressions of the word missions looked a little bit like this. I don't, I don't know this family, and I'm not picking on this family, but this is what every missionary family in the 90s looked like. Fortunately for my friends who were on the mission field, like once we got the internet, they could keep up with style, but there was a time, I'm telling you, and that was an early impression. And then when I was in college, I got to go on my first missions trip. And missions kind of took on a connotation like this. You, you, you get money and donations and you send letters and then you go on this trip for a week or maybe 10 days and, and you do a lot of really good things and then you come home and the mission is, is done. Or maybe mission to you brings up connotations of a, a shelter, a, a rescue mission, a place where those who are down and out can find hope. And mission and missions can include all of these things. But none of these things is the full picture of what we mean when we talk about mission. Today I want to speak less about what mission is and I want to speak more about why mission exists. And I want to introduce a term to you. Some of you have already heard the term, but most of you will not have heard it. The term is missio dei. Say that back to me. Missio dei. 
This is a, a Latin term, so you can actually say that you learned something today, but it's a Latin term. Theologians use this term ever since the 19th century, and it just simply means the mission of God, the mission of God. And this is where we want to start, because before we start thinking about all the applications of what it means to, to be on a missions trip or to do a mission or to serve at a mission, we want to look at what does the word mean to the heart of God. David J. Bosch said this, mission is not primarily an activity of the church, I would add, or an event or trip or shelter or organization, not the activity of a church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Now, you may or may not know that the Bible consists of 66 books, and in these 66 books, there are contained 1,189 chapters. 1,189 chapters. That's what makes up the Old and New Testament that we call the Bible. But did you know that only in the first two of those chapters, and then again in the last two of those chapters, do we see the world as God intended it to be? In other words, 0.003% of the Bible shows us the world as God intended it to be. The other 99.997% is the story of God's plan to redeem and restore the world to its original intent. We, we live in this in-between Genesis 1 and 2 and Re Revelation 21 and 22, and this is where we find the redemptive mission of God. Looking quickly at those two places, here, here's what we're going to find. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 gives us a glimpse of the, the original intent of the creation of God. We see men and women rightly reflecting the image of God, or the imago Dei, another Latin term. We see people lovingly stewarding creation. We see humans enjoying a balanced work-rest rhythm. The earth is producing good things for people and animals to enjoy. There is intimacy and there is equality between men and women. And then when we fast forward to Revelation 21 and 22, the picture that we get is of God dwelling with people and people worshiping in his presence. No more death, no more disease, no more sorrow. Creation is remade into its original intent and design. The glory of God is radiating throughout the world. The earth is again producing good things for people and animals to enjoy. And people are enjoying eternal life in the presence of God. These images at the very start and the very end of the canon of Scripture show us that God had a purpose and a design for humanity and the rest of it, and I would add our lives, tell us we haven't yet stepped into it. What Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 depict is a world uncorrupted by sin and also untouched by suffering. This is where Jesus comes in, right? This is the, the beautiful thing about the good news of the gospel, that Jesus stepped into this brokenness and actually, through suffering, put an end to a sin, abolished the written code, is how one scripture writer says it. Another says this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that good news? This redemptive plan of God would culminate in the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we see on the cross that one of the last things that Jesus says, in fact, there, there's, uh, someone has written on the sayings of the cross, that as Jesus was dying, he was saying things. And one of the things he said as he stretched out his arms and died was the words in a loud voice, It is finished. 
And Jesus was talking about much more than his 33 years on planet Earth. Jesus was referring to the redemptive purposes of God, that the culminating work of the mission of God, the culminating plan of salvation was Jesus suffering and dying on a cross and then raising to life three days later. But here's what I would say to you. Though the mission of God culminated in Jesus' death and resurrection, it was not completed by it. Hang on with me for just a second. You go, whoa, 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 this is sounding a little bit heretical. Well, let me tell you what, I'm, what I mean. Jesus accomplished the finished work of salvation, but he then commissioned his disciples to take the good news of salvation to the world. And in that, the mission is not yet complete. Or listen to how scripture says it. Colossians 1, 24 through 26, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Those verses used to mess me up, if I'm being perfectly honest. What in the world do you mean, Paul, that there is something lacking in Christ's afflictions? Paul is not saying that there's something more that needs to happen to accomplish salvation. That was finished, as Jesus said, on the cross of Christ. What Paul is saying is the mission continues, and in my suffering, my shipwrecks, my imprisonment, my abandonment, I'm taking the mission of God to the world. The work continues. Or again, 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Go ahead and put that back up. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul did not say, hey friends, Jesus did all the work on the cross, therefore we've got nothing left to do. Paul actually lived as though what Jesus did on the cross was compelling him to do the work of mission. It was as if it was just getting started. As believers in Jesus, we have been reconciled. That is God's work finished on the cross. We can add and subtract nothing to it. We've been reconciled and we have become reconcilers and this is where our work kicks in now when i use the pronoun we i am not referring to we pastors or we missionaries or we church staff i'm referring to we christians that god has entrusted to the believers that god has entrusted to his church all of us the mission of reconciliation Charles Spurgeon said it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Spurgeon has a way with words. I'm just going to borrow his. So so here's the question for us today, and we're going to spend some time looking at this in Luke chapter 10. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like, but we're going to look at this question. How do we move from an imposter to a missionary? Now, I know some of you are killing the mission game. You really are. Like, you, I, I've got a few of you that are like, yeah, I shared the gospel with like 30 people this week. I'm like, man, that's incredible. That's awesome. I applaud that. But probably more of us go, yeah, Chris, I know 
I mean, I know I'm supposed to be a witness or share my faith or, or live on mission, but man, I'm having trouble making that rubber meet the road. I don't really know how to get there. And so we're going to look at this. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Let me read. This is Jesus commissioning his disciples. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money back, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now I read you these verses because this is the second missionary commissioning in church history. The first one comes one chapter earlier when Jesus sends out the twelve. And this is sort of an extended summary of what Jesus told to those first 12 disciples. And what I want to do is look at two, uh, or rather several practical ways that Jesus equipped these disciples for the mission field, but they all come under two big rocks, and here they are. The first thing Jesus is going to say is demonstrate the works of the gospel, and secondly, declare the words of the gospel. Some of you remember being young and going to school and participating in something called show and tell, right? It's one of the, one of the coolest days in the life of a child, or so I'm told, I was homeschooled. Oh, you didn't have to say, aw, that, that makes me feel terrible. We love homeschoolers here. Show and tell, right? My kids have done it. You know, you come back from a vacation and you show the thing that you got in Boston, you get to tell all about, and what are all the kids doing? They're looking at the visual aid, right, because it gives life to the words that are being shared. And, and the biblical mandate for mission is going to involve both showing the gospel and telling it, demonstrating it, and also declaring it. So let's look at the first one, demonstrate or show the gospel, the first goal, the first role of a missionary Christian. Brendan Manning said this, and it's an indictment of our generation. He said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In other words, what Brandon Manning is putting his finger on is the fact that many people have rejected Christ not because they don't uh, receive the gospel, although that is in part what is happening, but the reason they don't believe the gospel is because we're showing them a terrible picture of what gospel looks like. And our words carry no weight because our life is failing in front of them. Now, I am not referring to this idea that Christians are supposed to live perfectly. In fact, one of the greatest testimonies that you can have as a Christian is when you fail to go back and ask for forgiveness. But even in that, you're demonstrating the gospel that we live differently, that, that we are uh, what one New Testament writer called a peculiar people, that, that we are strangers and aliens in the world. And Jesus is going to say, disciples, as you go, you've got to demonstrate the impact of the gospel on your lives. 
Some of you have participated in weight loss programs, and, and you know that weight loss programs will often show before and after pictures, right? This is one of the ways that they sell their product, right? So if, if I showed you a picture of a guy that looks like this, and does anybody know who this is, by the way? Or you know what he's from, right? This is Louis Elastic from Remember the Titans. This dude is huge, right? And I'm not picking on him, and you're going to see why I can say that in just a minute. But if this person were to tell you, man, I have come across the best weight loss program there is, you would say what? No, thank you, <laughs> right? Pass. But, but what if this person said, hey, I, I'm on a fitness program that I think could change your life. You might go, well, I'm listening. And if you found out that that's the same person, and it is, it might really make a difference. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Ethan Supley, the actor of Remember the Titans, he got fit, he went all out, he got into a pro, and, and this is what this man looks like today. And you say that and you go, what happened? Something transpired between the man that was and the man that is, and there is the opportunity to talk about the difference. The same thing is true of the gospel. In fact, one of the best places we can have a witness is with people that know us well. And many of us think we, we, we blew our testimony. We, we, we failed in front of them. And, and it's like, yeah, that's the point. Let them see the change. Let them see the difference in your life. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says there's a simple formula here. Let them see that they may glorify. Let them see so that they may glorify. This is why we often talk about this vision that God has given us to be a diverse community of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. Because we believe good works open the door for us to share good news. And living an authentic witness before the world has never been more important than it is today. The generations that are coming up right now do not care what you have to say if it does not match your life. We must live as authentic witnesses. So, so jump back with me to Luke chapter 10. I, I, I want to, and we're going to move this, uh, through this kind of quickly, but I want to give you five ways that Jesus is going to encourage or command the disciples to demonstrate the gospel. We'll move quickly. One way is through prayer. Prayer, verse 2. We talked about this last week. I believe every great work of God begins with prayer. This is why I was excited to talk about mission tonight, because mission and prayer are not two very different things. They're aligned. You almost cannot have one without the other. Now, we don't publicly demonstrate our prayers, right? Like Jesus even talked about that in Matthew 6. He said, hey, don't, don't put on a show. But the reason I include this as demonstrations of the gospel is because what you do in your hidden prayer life will become visible fruit in your life. And people don't need to see you praying or not praying to see the difference that prayer makes in your life. So he says, disciples pray. And then in verse 4, he encourages them to, to live simply. Did you catch that? He says, don't carry a whole lot of extra things. Why would that be? Well, there's a practical reason. Because he's sending them to places they're not from and on roads they don't know. And the more you have, the bigger target you are. So it's practical, right? 
But there's also a theological implication. It was articulated in the movie Fight Club. (laughs) The things we possess end up possessing us. Now, now that's not... That's not Bible, but but it does point to something that Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is going to say, Disciples, don't carry a whole lot of extra stuff. Why? Because when you got extra stuff, you have extra cares. The more you accumulate, the more you pile up, the more you can lose. You say, Chris, do you actually mean that, that the Bible speaks against accumulating wealth? And I would answer, yes. I, I know that's not popular. And it, it's not, it doesn't mean we've got to like live as beggars. But Jesus is clear and scripture is clear that the more we stockpile on earth, the more our heart will drift from him. So he says, live simply. And then he calls them to peace in verse five. He says, when you enter a place, say, peace to you. Jesus commanded the disciples to lead with peace. In in other words, to assume the best about people. Not to come in with our guard up. Not to come in assuming that there's gonna be an issue, but to just say, hey, peace to you. I would say it like this. Followers of Jesus are not to seek peaceful spaces only but to bring peace into whatever space they occupy. In fact, you can't be a peacemaker unless you enter places where there is conflict. So he says, lead with peace. Romans 12, 18 says it this way. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So if there can't be peace between you and another person, it better be because they don't want it, not you. Right? Jesus said this. He said, your, your peace might return to you. And I don't know everything that means, uh, but I've experienced it. <laughs> okay, like I, I've experienced putting myself out there and somebody bit, making it very, very clear they didn't want what I had. Peace returns. But Jesus says, nonetheless, when you go to the next place, you still lead with peace. You lead with peace. Another one, number four, hospitality. Another demonstration of the gospel in verses seven and eight. Jesus says this very practically. He says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Now, why is this important? Well, for one, Jesus is replacing the priority of Jewish dietary laws for these disciples. Think about this. They've grown up hearing what makes you ceremonially clean. I can't even say the word clean, right with God, is what you do or don't eat, what you do or don't drink. And Jesus says, look, when you show up, just eat what's put before you. Drink what they put before you. I'm not going to get into those implications, but I'm just saying, he said, like, just, just be hospitable. Why? Because again, all that matters is that they receive Jesus. If you make an issue of the pasta, they might not receive me. If you want the queen bed instead of the single they might get their feelings hurt and then they're not going to receive me. So in other words, just be hospitable. Just live among people. Just be gracious and kind. See, did you notice? Because Jesus is sending them to places he himself is about to go. By the way, Jesus always sends people to the places he's coming. 
right? Remember John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord? I believe that God is again using the church to prepare the way for the return of Christ. He always sends people ahead, and here he's sending the disciples ahead of him. And then finally, a fifth demonstration of the gospel is healing. Verse 9, healing. He says, heal the sick in the cities and towns where you're going. I believe this is likely the most visible way that the disciples were to demonstrate the gospel uh, in the places they went. They were to be people who were healers. Now let me ask you a question, and I want you to wrestle with this question. When people think of Christians, when people think of you, do they think of you as a healer? Now I'm not, I'm not going to get into the theology of, of healing physically and, and all of those things and the, and the supernatural giftings. I just mean, let's, let's break it down to its most simple form. Are you a healing person? Do people experience the healing of Christ through you, relationally, conversationally? Or have we added to the division? Have we added to the chaos and the wounding in our world? And if we followers of Jesus have done that, what does it say about the one we follow? See, Jesus said, you guys need to be healers. But part of the way that they're going to receive me, part of the way that they're going to be receptive to what I have to say and what I, what I bring is that you come as peaceful, simple healers and you demonstrate the gospel in this way. Well, in all of these ways and more, followers of Jesus then and now demonstrate the goodness of God in such a way that unbelievers are drawn to the good news. This is a huge part of our mission. It's why Peter said this in 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, so in other words, there needs to be something in your life that causes people to ask the question. Did you catch that? Why would somebody come up to you and say, hey, give me the reason for the hope that you have if what you have is despair, if what you have is panic, if what you have is the sky is falling and everything's going badly, what anchor do they see in your life? But Peter says, no, no, they're supposed to come and say, man, what is this in you? And this is where the turn happens. This is where the pivot happens. He says, and then what? And then be ready to speak. Be prepared. When you've won them through demonstration of the gospel, now be ready to declare or to tell the gospel. Look again quickly at Luke 10, verse 9. This is where it, it really uh, hits uh, hard. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I believe what Jesus is telling the disciples is first demonstrate the kingdom and then declare the kingdom. Demonstrate it and declare. By the way, Jesus did this constantly. Do you remember in the story of the paralyzed man who was lowered through the, the ceiling tiles? And he tells the man his sins are forgiven. And they're like, no, 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 you don't get to do that. You don't get to make that declaration, Jesus. That's for God alone. And Jesus is like, okay, uh, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm going to show you that I have the right to say this. I'm going to demonstrate my power so that when I say your sins are forgiven, you're going to go, well, he just caused a paralyzed guy to walk. Maybe he has the right to say that. And in the same way, and in some senses a different way, we are called to live in such a way that it earns the right to make the declarations that we claim. How many of you have heard this quote, Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that quote of St. Francis? All right, leave your hands up for a second. 
And what if I told you that St. Francis never said that? Ooh, gotcha. You're with me, I know. He didn't say it. And you know why he didn't say it? Because it is necessary to use words. See, I, 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 if I was to critique the generations that came before mine, I would critique them on this point. They often declared the gospel in the right way and, and truly, but the life didn't often match or didn't always match what they declared. It's still true. But, but that's, that's where I would lean if I was speaking only to the generations before me. But if I'm speaking to the generations that are my own and those coming after me, we suffer from the opposite issue. It's all about, well, just, just live it before them. As if just living it before people is getting people saved. And it's not, right? No one is going to be in heaven because you're a good person. It's not how it works. Now, it can earn the right, but words are necessary to the gospel. Romans 10, 14 to 15, if you need further proof. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul says, listen, they can't get saved if they never hear it. Because you know what? There's a lot of Muslims that live really good lives. And there's a lot of Mormons that live really good lives. And there are Hindus and atheists that live really good lives. We're not going to get people into heaven by simply living good lives before them. What we must do is use our good works to point them in the direction of Jesus, and then we must tell them the good news of the gospel. That's what the word means. News is something that is spoken. It's something that's written. It's something that can be received. It's not only the demonstration of our life. And by the way, we cannot blame our lack of sharing the gospel on an aversion to communication, <laughs> can we? I, I, don't we communicate all day, every day? Yes. Twitter and Facebook and texting and email and all the things. I mean, we're just constantly putting out words. In fact, uh, University of Arizona did a study and found that the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. And if you thought women were significantly higher than men, that's not actually true anymore. You like that? Okay. 16,000 words in a day. Did you know, did a little research on this this week, did you know 16,000 words is roughly how many words are contained in the Gospel of John? And we speak it every day. Every day. Words, words, posts, texts, conversations, weather, sports, politics. Where's Jesus, right? And, and I'm, I'm stepping on my own toes first. I realize I'm getting a little preachy today, but, but I want you to know that this is, man, I'm owning this. How often am I deliberate and intentional to show people that they can cross from death to life and that the good news of Jesus is the bridge? We must share that good news with people. Proverbs 18, 21, Old Testament says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And never is that more true than when it comes to the sharing of the gospel. The message of life, the message of hope, the message of forgiveness, it's through words, it's through the spoken tongue and the written word. And so let me talk for a minute about one of the ways that we have sought this year to bring the gospel to bear in our world and in our communities. 
You've heard me talk a lot about it, but we have a gospel conversation wall. It sits out in the lobby. You'll see it on your way out. And each of the pins on that wall represents a conversation that someone in our community, our church, has had with a lost person. Conversations where we've prayed for them, where we've prayed with them, where we've maybe invited them to our church, or we've actually shared the good news of Jesus with them. And I just want to reiterate how important it is that we're looking for opportunities to do that. Let me give you a slide to make this really practical. This is something I came across in college, and it has helped me to kind of think about the way all these things integrate together. This was created by some of the Willow Creek folks up in, uh, in the Chicago area. But this is a formula. As you think about what it means to declare and demonstrate, to show and tell, this is how it goes. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. L leave that up for just a moment. So what in the world are we talking about? Well, high potency is referring to our living of the gospel before people, okay? If your life doesn't match, if your life doesn't reflect, if you're not even really making an attempt to do so, then you're not going to have any potency or any opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. So we, we've got to have high potency in our lifestyle. The next one's close proximity. And for most of us, that one isn't hard. It just means the people we work with, people we're at the gym with, People we go to family reunions with, people in our neighborhood. We're, we're in proximity with people. But it may be that the potency is high and the proximity is close, but if we never get to clear communication, we're not going to have the impact. So it's about leveraging what we have, this high potency and this close proximity, to say, God, would you open doors for me that I might share the good news of Jesus with somebody this week? I can tell you times in my life where I've been conscious to pray that in the morning, my opportunities have skyrocketed. In fact, recently, and, and this, as we were preparing to look at prayer last week, this, this hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, I think one of the reasons that I'm not getting more opportunities to share the gospel is I haven't been asking. Because asking does two things. One, you're asking God to do the thing he's most bent on doing, the thing that matters most to him, to seek and save the lost. So you're praying in the will of God when you pray for opportunities to share the gospel. But here's what else it does. It raises your awareness of the opportunities that come. So in other words, that person that's pestering you at the gym is no longer an inconvenience, they're an opportunity. God, maybe you put this person there. Maybe I can take this conversation and get it to spiritual things. Maybe I can share the good news of Jesus with this person. You can take that down. Several years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine and, and it was very clear that God was working on his heart and I, and I at one point in the conversation, I said to him, I said, Andrew, is there any reason that you wouldn't receive Jesus as your Savior right now? You know what his response was? He said, Chris, I'd be happy to, but I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> do we falsely assume that people have just understood and rejected the gospel when in fact many of them have never heard it? I had the opportunity within a few days of that to lead Andrew to Jesus and he's walking with the Lord still today. But, but this is an example. We, we've got to look for the opportunities to communicate and God is very much wanting to send them our way if we'll receive them. So last thing, because we've already gone on a little long, but I, I wanted to make this super practical. We're going to put a slide up here because I also didn't want to take for granted, just like I don't want to take for granted that people know the gospel outside these walls, I don't want to take for granted that every one of us knows how to share the gospel. And so I want to give you a simple resource. This resource passes the napkin test, meaning you can remember it and write it down on a napkin and share it with somebody. But it's essentially three steps 
in explaining the gospel to a lost person. The first is God's design. It's what we talked about in Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Do you know that God designed something better and different than what you're experiencing? Most people instinctively know they're broken and the world is broken, but they don't know why. And so we get to talk about sin. And by the way, if you're asking, yes, you do have to talk about sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we lead people to see their sin and how that has led to brokenness in their life and in the world. And this is a great opportunity to tell them about our own brokenness and our own sin and how God delivered us from that. God's design, brokenness, and then the invitation to repent and believe. I personally, and I could be wrong on this, I personally don't think the word repent is as important as the idea that it is a 180, a complete change of direction. That, that the person must turn from the way they're going and go a different direction and to believe in Jesus. And that when the person does that, what they're receiving, what they're believing is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus was sent to die in their place, that he covered the sin issue for them. That if they would believe and put their trust in him, they would be saved. And from there they recover and they pursue God's good design for them. It's just a simple tool. And there are many. I actually did a, a project on this last week looking at different evangelism tools. There are plenty. And you might use a different one, but all I'm saying is have one. Have a way that you can articulate to people how they can know Jesus and have eternal life with him. So what if we set a goal for the end of, or for the remainder of 2020, and what if the goal was this? That each of us said, God, this week and every week, Give me one opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. What if each of us did that? And what if each of us was looking for those opportunities, stepping into those opportunities, building those bridges for people to come to know Jesus as their personal Savior? Guys, this gets me jazzed. This gets me excited. I want to be a church on mission. We actually articulate our mission simply as to follow Jesus and lead others to do the same. And we're about that. We want to be about that. We want to be on mission. And so, as we think of that, sharing the good news of Jesus, we remember that part of that is being good friends, doing good works together, opening the door for the opportunity to share the gospel. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.